Would you bow your heads with me for prayer? Father, as we have worshipped you, we have voiced this thought that um, we desire to have our hearts broken for the things that break your heart. We desire to love the things that you love. We desire to be the kind of people that your son Jesus on this planet showed as he graced people and forgave them and showed mercy to them over and over and over. So, Father, would you do that work in us this morning? As we look at our church and where we have been and where we are going, we desire, Father, to be a church that has a heartbeat for the Savior. Nothing more, nothing less. So, Father, in these next moments, as we share our hearts, as we open the Word of God, we pray that you would open each of our hearts to the possibility of what it means to love you completely. What it means to offer ourselves unconditionally to you and to live a life like that. And so, Father, I thank you for each one that is here. I thank you for the joy that we have in worshiping you and celebrating your love. And we pray that you would bless us now as we share our hearts and all of God's people together said, Amen. Well, we're doing something a little bit different this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, as you know, I'm leaving uh, this coming Tuesday for sabbatical and we'll be gone for uh, two months, uh, actually 10 weeks altogether. Uh, we're going to miss June and July in the weather here, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but uh, we are going to be on sabbatical. And uh, what we wanted to do before we left was kind of share with you a state of the church, where we are, um, uh, where you where we see our ministry going, where the leadership is wanting to take us and give you an update on what's going on. And then after the staff kind of puts those bones together, then I want to share with you for a few moments about the heart of our vision in our ministry. So that's what we're going to do today. So I've asked our staff uh, to join me on stage along with uh, our vice chairman, uh, Gary, in the middle. Uh, our chairman, Andy, Andy Carey, uh, couldn't be here. And also uh, Michelle, who's representing our financial team. She is our financial secretary, and she's speaking on behalf of the F uh, of the financial resource team and Debbie uh, Selland, who is our treasurer. So, And the rest are staff people. You all know them well. Uh, Pastor Corey couldn't be here, so I'll talk about her a bit. And then at the close of the service, uh, we're going to, um, uh, Pastor Barb will share with you about the children's ministry. So I hope that this is meaningful to you. Uh, we just wanted you to know where our church is, what our heart and our vision is for the future, and uh, how we believe God is going to take us there. So we're going to start with Pastor Brian on the end and uh, let him bring it. I like to really do like a special music presentation. <laughs> uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm in charge of the 6 through 12 youth ministry team. And, and we do have youth. They're just not here. They were at here. The time. Um, no, they come to first service. And, um, try to depict the heartbeat of our youth ministry. And, and it was it was stated last year at a, at a summer camp we went to. And um, sometimes we think of the church as uh, the kid area. Then we have the adults, and then you have the youth ministry, and they're three separate entities. And the most effective churches and the, and the churches that make the most impact in the world is when they, say they see all three groups as one unit. That when we see Barb's kids in the hallway or coming from Sunday school, that we high-five them and we give them knuckles. We say, hey, how are you doing? I'm glad you're here today. And we see a youth group kid. So many times when the kids get to middle school and high school, and I can understand why because I work on a campus, is we try to put them on an island 
In fact, that was that was youth ministry about 10 years ago. We just build them a big building and kind of keep the youth over there because they're <laughs> weird, you know, kind of like Lord of the Flies. Um, but what they're finding out is they went too far with that whole whole scene. And what they're finding out is that the kids that have an intergenerational connection with you guys and with Barb's kids and the young and the old and everything in between, those are the kids that continue on in their faith, that, that continue on make an impact when they go to college or when they become adults. And so I want to encourage you before I kind of share some other things, just as you see our young kids in Pastor Barb's class or some of our kids on Sunday mornings, feel free to pull them aside and take that leap of faith and say, hey, you know what, I've seen you every Sunday. I'm glad you're here. Tell me about what high school you go to or, you know, what are you doing? That, that makes a huge difference in their life. So that's just kind of, a, kind of the heart of, of our youth ministry. Um, I want to recognize some seniors uh, who are graduating uh, this last couple weeks or maybe even this week. Um, so if you see them, uh, recognize them and give them a high five. And they're kind of scared. They're freaked out because the real world is starting, so to speak. Uh, we had a couple graduates from Horizon, uh, Marissa Hall and Alex Docker. And again, they were all here during first service. Uh, India Blackshear is graduating from James Madison Prep. Courtney Myers from Mountain Point. Allison Novak from Arizona College Prep. Uh, Liz Judding from over at Hamilton High, uh, Alan Bellock from Basha, and then Heather Hittenberger is one of our Corona graduates. So when you see them, uh, wish them well and, c- and congratulate them. Um, I, I could not do my job without some key people in, in our life and key people in the kids' life. And so um, you, you've heard these names in the past. They need to be recognized because they are a huge part of the heartbeat of our youth ministry team. Um, Andy Oliver, you sometimes see up on stage. Andy serves as one of our uh, youth coaches. Uh, Cress Myers, Julianne Levinson, uh, Stephanie Hernandez, and Ryan Starr. Ryan's been showing up uh, last week because we have such excellent snacks on Wednesdays. But Ryan's trying to get the whole uh, worship going with with the kids, and he's going to be a huge piece of that this summer. Um, and some good news: uh, just this last Tuesday, many of you know have seen Michael Descoli speak from, when he's come back from camp. Uh, he's been volunteering his time as a youth coach with the the elders. And the staff, um, well, the elders agreed to bring Mikey on as a youth intern. Um, so we're very excited about Mikey. He'll be working with me in all of youth ministry, but specifically to the senior high ministry. So, Mikey, put your hands together Stand for Mikey Scully over there. Whoop, whoop. Yep. So b- before I pass it on to the most attractive person up here, um, <laughs> just I want to encourage you to kind of think of <laughs> Gary, sir. Um, I really want to, you know, because I know Dwayne's going to talk about this, but, but see the church as not three different entities, but as one unit. And it makes such a huge difference when, when we have you guys connect with those and those guys over there. It really makes a huge difference. So that's kind of the heartbeat of youth ministry and um, connecting everybody. So thanks for your time, guys, and your support. gave him a hard time about first service talking too long, so he's quick today. <laughs> he's pointing out the time to me. Um, I just wanted to give you an update on our financial situation. Most of these numbers all came from Debbie. She handles paying the bills, and thankfully I don't have to do that. Um, I just want to let you know that we are current on our mortgage. We've paid all the way through May, which is huge, so thank you so much. That's right. Um, um, we um, have had approximately a 213000 come in year-to-date for um, tithes and offerings, which is beautiful. We have budgeted 266. We have a short 
a shortfall, but um, that's pretty typical for, for a small church. Um, we are thankful for everybody who gives. Um, and so um, the next thing that we have going on is uh, Momentum for mis- Ministry. We've received over 48,000 year-to-date, which is 10,000 over what we've um, forecasted, so that's fantastic as well. Um, there's a couple things that she's short or just a little delayed on paying just because the summer months are coming up and she's got to make sure that the mortgage is met and, um, you know, pensions are due and insurance is due. So um, we're trying to really push this summer to make up that 50000 that we're short. For those of you who are regular attenders here at Hope and have decided to make this your home, if you have not yet started to tithe, I just ask that you would pray for, or pray for that and just see if, there's something that maybe you're willing, you know, that God lays on your heart that you're willing to be able to just sacrifice and, and, and give to the church. It would really help. And for those of you who are planning to travel this um, summer, we really would um, like you to consider going online. Brandon has set up a really easy way to access it now. You go to the homepage, hopechurchchandler.com, and at the bottom on the right-hand side, there's a, a link. It says giving. It takes you right to the secure website, so you could give weekly bi-weekly, monthly, however you want to set it up. It's really easy to do, and it's very secure. So if you'd consider doing that for the summer months, because that's usually when we struggle. So I appreciate everything that everyone does and, and all the giving that you do. So thank you. Thanks, Michelle. And just thanks, Michelle and Deb, who kind of manage and coordinate all the bills and income and those kinds of things. It's it's always a challenge, and, you know, from the when we started the church, you know, years ago, we were always kind of living on the edge like this. And, and that's somewhat intentional because we know that um, we ought to push ourselves so that we can do more ministry. And it just, just turns out that um, or there's always a challenge to, to which bill do you pay or whatever, but they do a great job of juggling that. And I think it's, it's actually a positive thing that we're kind of right there. It tells us we're right at the you know, capacity, you know, or, or where we need to be with this church. Um, but somehow we've, God's been gracious and we've always made it uh, through your generosity and uh, God's help too. So uh, just thank you for doing that. That kind of leads me to the moment for ministry. I was going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks back. Um, Momentum for ministry that Michelle mentioned is just our campaign to eliminate the debt on the building so that we can have more resources for doing more ministry. Um, you know, just think about what we could do with an extra $14,000 a month uh, if we didn't have to pay a mortgage, make a mortgage payment. And how much ministry could we be doing? Um, and that's kind of what it's all about. You know, already, like Michelle mentioned, I think we're all, we're, since we started the campaign, we brought in almost $100,000 to help reduce debt and to support ministries like uh, bringing Ryan on full-time. We're able to repair our rundown sign out front and, you know, do a number of things that we would not have been able to be done without the Momentum for Ministry campaign. So we're, we're grateful for that. If you're interested in more about that, contact me, Michelle, or, or others, and we can tell you, give you some information on how to participate in that. Um, as far as the elders go, uh, like Pastor Dwayne mentioned, I am a, the vice chair this year. Uh, Andy Carey is the chairman. We also have other members, um, Will Devon, uh, Jim Blackburn, Deb Anderson, Vicki Reed. Um, what else did I miss? Dwayne's on there, of course. 
and Deb, Deb Anderson. I always forget Deb Anderson. But uh, we meet every month, at least once a month, um, and our kind of our purpose is to provide both near-term and long-term um, coordination of the church activities. Near-term being, you know, what what are we doing today? You know, we like Brian said, we voted on bringing Mikey on as an intern. You know, those are, those are the kind of things that we're ta- looking at in the near term. The long term, we're trying to help coordinate the vision of the church and keep us on track towards that vision. Um, basically, bringing each person one step closer to God all the time. So that is always in our forefront, and those are the kind of decisions we're making. We wanna we wanna be a leadership team that keeps this congregation on track, and that's kind of what we're working towards. So. I'm Ryan Starr. I'm, uh, as of January, officially the associate pastor of worship arts and slash facilities coordinator. <laughs> uh, so um, just to kind of give you an update of what this looks like day to day. It's kind of organizing things, uh, making sure the stage is is clear and clean and that people are feel welcome to come in here and to worship together. Um, it's choosing songs, liturgical elements, uh, pastoring the 50-plus volunteers. We have uh, an incredible team of people who give their time um, Thursday nights for practice, Sunday mornings. Um, so anybody who's up here on the stage helping out, people who are running the computer with the words and doing lights to help us, you know, just create this atmosphere where, where people from different walks of life, from uh, different generations and um, different preferences that we can all gather together and worship. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be part of a, a covenant church plant in Muskegon, Michigan, um, that my friend uh, was the worship pastor at. And it was called Renovate. And the whole um, the whole kind of drive behind this church was ancient faith, fresh, fresh expression. And so constantly they were doing these really creative things. Um, and I you know, each of us, when we read the Psalms, we see how God so so creatively created all that there is. Um, and, I, and I believe that we we can capture some of that beauty in our in our times of worship together. And um, I also recognize that anytime somebody says the word worship, everybody thinks music. Um, but we've we've all kind of branched out are trying to branch out past that. So uh, this could be the response of reading elements for people who don't sing. Um, there's just there's a lot of ways to get involved. And and part of my hope is that moving forward, that we we can kind of uh, embrace some of that creativity. Um, so like these chandeliers didn't put themselves together, but, um, <laughs> you know, just different elements that can can help us be creative and and use our gifts for God um, to refine our, our craft and um and serve serve the church with facilities. Um, kind of the other portion of that is I kind of have broken this into two elements, kind of external facilities and internal facilities. So outside, Jill Nordstrom uh, leads the landscape team and they come here on Saturdays and they're trimming trees and uh, doing all the grunt work to help keep this beautiful and welcoming. And and internally, um, we're creating a facilities team that will help kind of manage, uh, you know, dings in the walls and uh, touch up. You know things like that, just to, to keep our our uh, our internal facility keep it nice and and welcoming for visitors as well. Um, and then, as Brian mentioned, I've been working a little bit with the youth, and so the goal with this is that uh, the reason I got involved with worship leading was that in high school I was part of a youth band, and uh, fortunately I had the opportunity to 
to lead worship with my peers. Unfortunately, we were always kind of regarded as like kind of this outside thing. And, uh, and so it was cool to lead, you know, Wednesday nights or Sunday nights. But when it came to Sunday morning, we were all kind of excluded from, from that. And so my goal is, to, is for us to kind of reach outside of that and to not just see the youth as the future church, but to see them as the church, that they are part of the church and they're contributing. Some of them serve in our uh, children's areas and, um, and, you know, help with a lot of other things. So my goal is to bring them up um, and to hopefully that, that as we worship together, that it's not, uh, it's not about me leading you, but it's about us collaboratively worshiping together. Um, and so, yeah. My name is Brandon Hovey, and I am the associate pastor here. And one of the things that we really believe as a church is that we serve a strategic God, right? A God that thoughtfully makes plans and executes them and uh, calls us to do the same. So uh, the leadership here at Hope is committed uh, to being strategic, to thinking long term and, and to, you know, doing everything within our power um, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to um, advance the gospel. And so in January of this year, uh, we gathered 35 ministry leaders um, from this church and went to Teen Marie's house for two days uh, for a leadership retreat. And uh, during that time, we really looked at um, where we've been as a church and what God has taught us and the story um, that has been written about Hope Covenant Church. And that was a really powerful time. And then the other thing that we did was, was try to kind of peer into the future and ask God, um, where is he taking us as a church? Um, where is he leading us um, as a congregation? And, and so out of that meeting, what kind of bubbled to the surface was eight leadership initiatives or ministry initiatives um, that we're going to be launching over the next 12 months. And these things are um, areas that we felt like God has put on our heart um, above and beyond the kind of normal uh, routine of ministry. And I want to share those with you uh, just briefly. Here they are. Uh, maximize building, communication, assimilation, leadership development, outreach evangelism, and holistic formation. So these are the eight things that we really want to press into um, over the next year. And so what we did was after we uh, came up with these things, we put eight teams together um, to really kind of drill down and explore these things and, and meet specific objectives and see how are we doing with using our building? What are the different ways that we could do that uh, to, to, to better, you know, disciple our people and, and, you know, better fit our kids into their classrooms and, and that sort of thing. And so they came up with ideas. They came up with uh, action plans for our elders. Our elders have met a few times and kind of refined some of these ideas. And our plan is over the next 12 months to have implementation teams who are going to kind of be uh, implementing these these ideas and these proposals that we've agreed to as an elder board uh, to, to make our church uh, what God wants it to be. So here are just a few highlights of what you can expect to be seen over the next year. Uh, this summer, um, I won't hit all these, but we want to create a facilities team that Ryan talked about who's going to kind of organize the storage and, and figure out how we could, you know, have the best kind of face to our community and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. And then we're also going to have an uh, online photo directory. So if there are people in the church that you don't know, if there's names that you don't know, you could hop on there and see everyone's picture in a kind of secure site where you log in. We're going to work on our volunteer management um, if we could go to the next slide, later on in the fall, we're going to launch a church-wide online community. We're going to create an outreach team who's going to really focus on how do we share our faith effectively with our friends and neighbors? How do we uh, do as, 
you know, how do we do the best job we can with the outreach events we have, like Easter and Jazz and Chocolate? How do we make those even better or come up with new ideas? Um, we're also going to have a new believers class and, um, and a ministry fair where you could sign up for different ministries. And then later on in the, in the winter, starting in January, we're going to have a care team with uh, deacons and deaconesses who's going to help take care of the physical and spiritual needs of our congregation and make sure nobody slips through the cracks. We're going to uh, have a communication team with a, with a leader to make sure we're communicating well um, internally and externally. So these are just a few of the things that you could expect to be seen over the next year. We're really excited uh, about really kind of propelling the ministry of Hope Covenant Church and not just, you know, standing still or, or being content with uh, what we've done, but really trying to take it to the next level. And uh, the other thing I want to just briefly mention is small groups. Uh, small groups remain uh, the primary place um, where community happens at Hope Covenant Church. Uh, these are where we can places that we can gather together to, to journey together to become more like Christ. And that's really the purpose of small groups uh, Our grow groups, which are sermon based groups that meet on a quarterly basis, are taking a break for the summer and then they're going to start up again in the fall. Uh, our Bible groups, which meet on Sunday mornings uh, on Friday and Wednesdays, uh, those will continue to meet through the summer. Um, and then, of course, on Wednesday, we're going to have a four week uh, Bible study here at the church at six o'clock that everyone's invited to. So I would encourage you to continue to pray about joining uh, either a Bible group or coming to our June group. Um, and if you can't do that, I would still encourage you to to really kind of press in and become part of the community here at Hope Covenant Church. You know, it's really important that all of us are connected, whether that's being in a small group, whether that's going out to lunch uh, with people you don't know after the service, you know, whatever it is you need to do. Really be intentional about being part of the community here because it's very important for, for our spiritual growth. Great. Well, let's thank our whole team for, uh, for sharing with us this morning. Now, uh, one uh, member of our team that's not here today is Corey Gustafson, who is in charge of pastoral care. And she reports that she's involved in uh, women's ministry. We've got uh, 20 people going to uh, Triennial this summer. Uh, also, InReach, which is caring for the sick in our church, giving out many meals and transportation. And then um, also pastoral care. She does a wonderful job uh, with pastoral care as well. So um, I, just, uh, I just thought it would be really helpful for us to get a, a pulse of what our church is doing and where God is taking us in the coming days and the coming weeks. Um, a couple other things I just add. Um, we we are very open church. We we want you, we don't have any secrets. We don't hide anything. If you want to know about anything about finances, we can publish you a monthly report. Uh, if the our elder meetings are always open, if you want to drop into an elder meeting and sit in and see what we do in our terms of our business. Our staff meetings on Tuesday mornings are open to anyone. So we just want you to know that we're available and we want to make uh, sure that you understand everything you need to know about Hope Covenant Church. So what you've heard today is the structure, uh, the bones of Hope Covenant Church. What I would like to do for the next few moments is tell you about the heart of our ministry. Um, what is the heartbeat of who we are? Why is it that we are a unique church? Why is it that we are thriving in many ways when most mainline churches are going backwards? Uh, those are some of the things that I would love to share with you for the next few moments. We believe that God has placed us uniquely 
in Chandler, Arizona, to do a very specific and unique work. And in order to do that, we have a um, kind of a, a DNA uh, in our church. And that comes through the ministry that we've done together over these years. And it's really alive today. And I want to share with you today kind of two aspects of that DNA that really identifies the heartbeat of Hope Covenant Church. The first thing is this. We have a heart for Jesus. Not just a heart for knowing about Jesus, but we have a heart for a passionate, intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, when I was in high school, uh, go Granite Hills. Uh, when I was in high school many years ago, um, I was part of a Bible, a Youth for Christ Bible quiz team. And some of you that have been around uh, Youth for Christ when you were kids recognize how important that was. And so we had people from our school uh, and all the public schools had a YFC team. And on Saturday night, we'd get together for the rallies and we'd have these contests. And myself and another person from Granite Hills, we'd be on the team and we'd win a lot. And it was awesome. And in fact, uh, you know, one of my goals was always to, uh, you know, crush the opponent in a loving, godly way and just dominate, you know, because that's what Christians do. And uh, so we were really into that. And I knew a lot about the Bible. A lot. I mean, if you want to play me in Bible trivia or Bible baseball, watch out. You know, I'll crush you, too. You know, so I know a lot about the Bible. What I discovered as a teenager and even growing up to be a man, uh, that it's much more to being to knowing Jesus than it is knowing about Jesus. There's much anybody can learn. about. In fact, Satan knows more about Jesus probably than you do. You can know all about him and still not know him. Now, last week. Um, we introduced a word to you uh, that uh, is really unique. It's yada. Okay, it's the Hebrew word for no. In Genesis, Adam knew Eve. Yada. And it talks about an intimate relationship, physical relationship, but it's much more than that. When you look at the Psalm 139, the word yada means a soul mingling. You mingle your, mingle your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's what marriage is supposed to be biblically. We talked about that for four weeks. But that's what the relationship that God desires with his people. He wants to have a yada with us. He wants a soul mingling relationship. He doesn't want us just to know about him. There's a lot of people in the world that know. Did you know that 90% of Americans believe in God? And a large majority of that 90% believe in Jesus? And yet the impact that those people, believers, have is almost nil. There's a big difference, and we did a whole sermon series on this, if you remember, a big difference between being a Christian and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. A Christian can be anything you want it to be. A Christian can be a Republican. A Christian can be a Democrat. It can be an American. It can be a Puerto Rican. It can be anything you want it to be. But a Christ follower, a disciple, is someone who says yes to Jesus before he even asked the question, you know, Jesus, says, now I want you to do so before he even Jesus says, I want you to do so. And so you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a disciple. Sign me up. That's who I want to be. We are a church that values that relationship above all others. We don't want to just know about God. We don't want to just know about Jesus. We want to be in this yada personal, intimate relationship with him that transforms my life and transforms your life as well. So we have a heart for Jesus. It's not enough growing up to know about Jesus. So I want to tell you a story. 
that shows the difference between what one author calls being a fan and being a follower. I don't want to be a fan of Jesus. I don't want to be somebody in the stands, rah, rah, cheer, cheer, you know, like I don't want to be that. I want to be somebody that's involved in the life of Christ and therefore involved in the life of other people as well. I don't want to be a fan. I don't want to be a I want to be a follower. So there's a beautiful story in the Gospels. I shared this with the elders a few weeks ago, a beautiful story in the gospel that kind of talks about this. Uh, There's a Pharisee. His name is Simon. And you know what the Bible says about Pharisees? Matthew 15, 8 says this. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. How many people in the world today who call themselves Christian would be just like those Pharisees? These people honor me with their lips. Yes, I believe in Jesus. He was a great guy. Cool. He's my buddy. You know, but their hearts are far from me. So there was this Pharisee that somehow, some way decided to invite Jesus over to his house for a meal. Kind of weird because the Pharisees were always at in conflict with Jesus and with his disciples. But somehow, some motivation, Simon said, I'm going to have Jesus come over. And none of the other disciples were invited, just Jesus. And then there's this group of Pharisees at this dinner. Let me share with you what the gospel says about that in Luke 7. Let me read you a few verses about that. Here's what it says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home. And sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And I love this next verse. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. (laughs) Be careful what you think, right? Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Simon said, go ahead, teacher. Uh, Tell me. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he took the woman and said to Simon. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little Shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't that have been a powerful moment to see that? Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what on earth did a rabbi who was 
opposed to Jesus' teaching, why did he invite him to his house for a meal? We don't really know what the motivation was, but it happened. And this experience was pretty, uh, pretty amazing when you look at it. So let's look at it for a few moments. So Simon invites Jesus over. Now, when you were to invite uh, someone to your house that was a special guest, an honored guest, especially if it was like a visiting rabbi and Jesus was a visiting rabbi, you would do everything to show him honor. The first thing you would do when he entered your house is you would either kiss his cheek or kiss his hand as a sign of honor. And it's a sign of saying, you know what? I welcome you to my home. You matter to me. Uh, you're very important in this household. We honor you as a respected guest. That did not happen. The next thing that would happen if you had an honored guest come to your house is the guest of honor, the host would wash the guest of honor's feet. Again, showing kind of this subservient attitude that I'm in service to you. I wash your feet and uh, you're welcome in my home. That did not happen. And if you didn't wash the feet yourself as the host, you at least provided a servant to wash the guest's feet. And if you didn't provide a servant to wash the guest's feet, at the very least, you provided a basin and a towel for the guest to wash his own feet. None of that happened. The third thing that you would do with an honored guest would be to anoint them with olive oil. Olive oil wasn't expensive, so it was a rather um, ordinary gift. But it was a way of saying, you matter, you have a place of honor, we are glad that you are here. Now, don't miss the irony in this moment. Simon was a Pharisee, which means by the age of 12, he had memorized the first 12 books of the Old Testament. Memorized. By age 15, he had memorized the entire Old Testament as they had it in that day, including 300 verses in the Old Testament that refer to the Messiah that will one day come. Simon knew a lot about God. Simon knew everything in the Bible. Simon knew everything that was written about the Messiah, but he still didn't know Jesus. Here's a man who knew so much and yet had so much, so little relationship with the Savior. So much so that his hands were unkissed. His, his feet were unwashed. His head was unanointed. He said basically a snub, uh, you know, uh, a bite my tongue at you. He basically was saying, you know what? I invited you to my house, but you're not really special. You're not really a guest. Back to the story. So a woman somehow comes by this dinner party. Now, how did that happen? We don't know. Uh, many times wealthy people, and this Pharisee was wealthy, would have a large co- courtyard by his house, and they would have dinner get-togethers, dinner uh, uh, celebrations out in the courtyard. It's a good chance that this woman came by the courtyard, recognized Jesus' voice. She went in and looked, and she just basically walked right up and interrupted their dinner party. Now, it's interesting. What was she looking for? Well, obviously, the Bible says she was looking for Jesus. Why? She was a prostitute. She was a call girl. She was a high-end, upper-end call girl. Uh, So she had expensive clients. She had expensive tastes. No one had had that expensive perfume except people that had a lot of money. So she was a high-end call girl. But somehow, someway, Jesus got into her mind. And a good chance that Jesus got into her heart. Chapter 6 of Luke, it talks about the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the Beatitudes. It doesn't go into as much detail as Matthew 5, but it talks about the Sermon on the Mount. 
Is it possible that this woman, this prostitute, had heard about Jesus, followed him around, listened to his teachings? Maybe she was there on the day of the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe she was there on the day that uh, Jesus gave the Beatitudes. Maybe she heard for the first time something like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. She said, I'm poor in spirit. My heart is broken. Look at my life, what my life has turned into. Blessed are the meek. Well, I'm meek. I have nothing to offer anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm the lowest category of person on the earth. I'm a woman and I'm a prostitute. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. No one cares about me when a man looks at me. He always looks with that same look in his eye. But this man, Jesus, the things that he said, the things that he claimed, forgiveness and righteousness and mercy available for me, a woman that is broken, is it possible? And so somehow this woman was following Jesus around. And we come to this point when she literally crashes this dinner party. She stands next to his dirty feet. Now, in those days, they used to recline on the ground. They'd have their arm on a pillow and they would eat from a table that was just six inches off of the ground. And so all the all the Pharisees and Jesus are lying around this table in a prone position. And this woman comes up and stands right at his dirty feet. And perhaps Jesus looks up at her and Maybe for the first time someone looks at her without that lust in their eyes. Maybe for the first time she sees forgiveness and mercy in the eyes of Jesus. And she begins to weep. And her tears fall on his dirty feet. His feet that were not washed. And so she bends down and she lets her hair down, which is a sign, a very intimate sign. You never let your hair down except in the presence of your husband. Well, she was a prostitute. She let her hair down and she started wiping his feet with her hair. And then she took that alabaster jar and she took that precious oil. And the oil she carried around was for her clients. Every client got one drop of oil to show that, you know what, you really matter, pal, because you're going to pay me a lot of money, right? I really care about you. Of course, they, she didn't really. But I, every, every, every person that she was with got one drop of oil. And she thought to herself, well, I'm not going to need this anymore. And she dumped the whole thing on his feet. Now, here's the question at the end of that. In your life, and be very honest with me, and be very honest with yourself. In your life, are you more like the Pharisee or the prostitute? Are you more into knowing about Jesus? Or having a heart that is so broken and so tender and so much in need of a Savior that you cannot stop the tears. You cannot stop the feelings. You cannot stop the wave of emotion that just literally comes into you and says, I, I cannot survive another day without Jesus. Pharisee thought he had nothing to do with Jesus, really, except to criticize him. But this woman knew that the only way that I'll have life, the only way that I will be able to breathe, the only way that I will have any kind of uh, life in this world is through this man, Jesus. We desire with all our heart as a church to be the kind of church that is about knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing him in this yada kind of way. This intimate, soul mingling, passionate, jealous, love starved kind of way. Do you know Jesus or do you just know 
about Jesus. We desire more than anything else to be a family like that. There's something else that we believe and something else that's part of our DNA, and it's this. Not only do we want to know Jesus passionately with that kind of yada, soul-mingling love, but we also desire to have a heart for the lost. You see, when you recognize, like the prostitute, when you recognize how much you've been forgiven, and all of us here are prodigals, <laughs> Let's, we're not going to kid ourselves, all of us have found ourselves far away from the Savior because we've just chosen to go the way of the world instead of the way of God. And so we find ourselves there. But when we recognize that a person who is far from God is still loved passionately by the Father, is still loved. When you think about all the people in your life that you know that are not saved, that do not know Jesus, and maybe uh, the, your neighbors, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you go to church with, maybe there's people, many people in your life, you know, you know they, they don't know Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Does your heart break for them? Do you realize that without Christ, that they will spend eternity apart from God? Do you realize that this is, this is life, business? This isn't just, well, they're making their own choice. Well, whatever they choose. No, 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 no. Jesus said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All. Do you have a heart that breaks for those who are lost? Do you have a heart that breaks like God's heart breaks for those who are far from Him? Now, we know God's heart from Luke chapter 15, just a few chapters over. And in that chapter, he tells three stories. And you know these stories. Those of you who have been around the Bible and church and Christianity. Uh, so he tells, tells a story of the lost coin. Uh, first, the, the story of the lost sheep. This is all in Luke 15. The story of the lost coin and the story of the lost son. And in each one of those stories, it's the same message. He tells it three times, just in case they weren't hearing it. Now, if you don't understand about sheep, then understand about... If you don't understand about a coin, let me tell you about a, a son. And in each case, the bottom line meaning of every one of those parables is the same thing, and it's this. If you are lost, and if you're far from God, Jesus will do anything to save you. He will do anything to find you. He will leave the 99, and he will search for you in the thicket. He will do anything to find you and to search for you and to tell you how much you are loved. So the last story is the one you're all familiar with, the prodigal son. So the prodigal son, this man has two sons. He's still in good health, still running a large farm, a large ranch, a lot of money involved. The younger son says to his dad, I want my inheritance now, which basically is saying to your dad, I wish you were dead. Because really, you don't matter to me except for what I'm going to get from you when you die. So I wish you were dead. Would you give me my inheritance now? The father, amazingly, gave half of his, half of his wealth to his younger son. The Bible says he went off to a, for, a faraway land and he spent it in riotous living, wine, women, and song. He spent all of his money. And then one day, a couple of years down the road, he finds himself in a pigsty eating corn cobs and saying, this is not how I had planned it to happen. This is not what I thought it was going to be so much fun. And now look at me. And then he thinks to himself, is it possible to go back to my father? Now, I, I don't expect him to treat me like a son because I totally messed up here. I totally did the wrong thing. But is it possible if I go back that my father will somehow take me in as a servant or a slave? Is it possible? I don't know. 
but I've got nothing else going for me, so I'm going to try. And so the Bible says that he literally goes back. And I want to read you what it says uh, in a few verses in chapter 15. Listen to this. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine, listen, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. So the party began. Do you have any comprehension of that kind of love that a father has for his son? Those of you that are parents probably at least in some way do. Those of you that have had a relationship with your parents in some way know that. But what about when that child goes far astray? What about when that child disappoints you in every way possible? And that child comes back and says, would you make me a servant? I'm not worthy to be a son. Would you make me a servant? And the father embraces him and kisses his head. The, the, the text literally says he couldn't stop kissing his head. And he weeps over him and he whispers in his ear, Son, I never stopped loving you. I never stopped loving you. You matter to me. I know you were lost, but now you're found. I know you were dead, but now you're alive. I love you that much. That's the heart of God for lost people. And if we want our hearts broken for things that break the heart of God, we must recognize that people who are far from God, people that are sinners, people that are different from you, people that have different lifestyles, that every one of them is loved and cherished by Jesus. And we must love and cherish them as well. Is your heart broken for those who are lost? Do you have a heart for Jesus that is so alive, so yada, so soul mingling that you can't live a day without him? These two things are the heartbeat of Hope Covenant Church. We believe that every person can experience that kind of passionate relationship. And we believe that we will do anything in our power short of sin. We will do anything to reach one more for Jesus. Just last week, we, uh, I got an email from someone I don't even know. I've never met this person. But let me read you what she said. Um, the subject was thank you. And she wrote, I know this message is a little late. But I wanted to thank your church for the excellent Easter celebration it holds each year. My family and I have attended for the past three years, and we really appreciate having such a wonderful place to come to celebrate Easter. We thank your church for all its hard work in putting together such a great gathering. Okay, isn't that a nice email? Okay, somebody from the community, we don't even know who they are, can't tell who they are from the, uh, you know, from the, the, the uh, email address. But somebody for three years, two years at, uh, over here and one year at uh, ACP has come to our Easter services outdoors. And they're saying, thank you for doing that. Do you know what I want to tell her? And someday maybe I'll have a chance to tell her. I said, listen, we don't do this to make us look good. We don't go to literally probably a thousand volunteer hours of you to make this happen. We don't spend $7,000 to make this happen so that people are having a good time. 
We want you to have a good time. But here's why we do it. Because we will do all of that. We'll spend those hours and that money and we'll spend all the angst and the worry about Easter. If we have one person that says yes to Jesus, we'll do it. We'll do it and we'll do it over and over and over and we'll not stop doing it. That, that Sunday morning, we had over 30 people. When I gave the call to come, come to Christ, 30 people shot their hands up in the sky and said, I want that. That's what we're about. That's what we're doing. That's the heartbeat of our church. See, we're not just about making you feel comfortable. My goal every week is to make you feel miserable. And I'm pretty good at it sometimes. We don't want you leaving here saying, boy, I feel really yippy skippy. No, I want you leaving here saying, what can I do? What can I do to reach one more for Christ? What can I do, me, to reach one more for Jesus? That is the heartbeat of our church. That's who we are. That's the heart. That's the flesh on the bones. That's who we are. And I am so glad that you have joined us in this journey. And believe me, the next 10 weeks, we are going to have a great time. We're going to study at a seminary. We're going to have fun with our family. We have a family reunion. We do a lot of great stuff. But here's my belief. My belief that back here at 1770 South Dobson and 111 degrees on a Sunday morning, there are going to be people in here that are saying, you know, come to my church. I want you to meet uh, my pastors. I want you to meet the staff and I want you to meet Jesus. Come to church with me. And I believe that every Sunday, somebody's going to take a step closer to Christ. Every Sunday, somebody's going to say yes to Jesus. Every Sunday, God's going to do that work in somebody's. Do you know why I believe that? Because he's done it every Sunday for the last 13 years. And I'll continue to do it. That's the heartbeat of our church. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we, uh, we don't always know how to make this thing uh, a church. We're, not a lot of instruction on that in the Bible, but... Here's what we do know. 